Please open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. To follow Jesus is not simply a religious platitude. It is not something we do in theory. It is something actual. It is real. It's about leaving the lesser to follow the greater. It's about doing the most sensible thing that a reasonable person can do with their lives when they think about the material world as opposed to that which is eternal. Here's this encounter with Jesus by three men. Verse 57 says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I think if Jesus were leading a church today, it wouldn't grow very fast. We preachers love it when people want to start attending the church where we preach. We like it when you want to join up with us. I think it does something for our egos, perhaps, that is unhealthy. Any leader of a great movement loves it when people want to come along. Jesus is always full of surprises, isn't he? He eats with people nobody thinks he should be eating with. He touches unclean people. He associates with those who are disenfranchised from the rest of society and culture. When somebody says to him, you know, I want to follow you, he may say, oh, not so fast. Or why don't we sit down and uh, chat about that a little bit first. I want you to understand what you're getting into. Jesus always is striking. Following Jesus is about connecting with the greatest person in the universe, the one who has been exalted, the, the, the right hand of God. It's about being involved in the greatest work in the world, the only work in the world that touches eternity, in fact, populates heaven itself. And to follow Jesus calls us to something unlike any other call we ever receive in our lives. Imagine if all of us fully grasped to the, to the fullest degree what it means to follow Jesus. What a different kind of church we would be. We are on different, we are in different levels as if, and I'm not here proclaiming to you that I'm the one that you need to look at for that. I am not always the best follower. I'm a struggler with you in this journey. And just when I think I have laid myself out, I find over and over again in striking ways I have not begun to be yet the full disciple that Jesus has called me to be. We're in this world that calls attention to itself, that draws us in, right? It does that. And yet we're here together because we know Jesus has dramatically affected us as no one else has. 
and he is worthy of being followed. But to follow him together means that we have to leave behind. We have to leave behind. We first have to leave behind a kingdom. It's like crossing a border. When, when you come to the kingdom of God, we are leaving one kingdom and we're entering another kingdom. We can walk for hours and hours and days toward our northern uh, neighbor of Canada. We can walk hundreds of miles and we can get to the edge of the Canadian border. I can be one step away and I'm still in the United States of America. It still takes that one last step before I'm in another country. And my friends, there are a lot of people who walk miles and miles and miles of their lives with Jesus, but they never really cross over into the kingdom of heaven. Does that describe anyone here today? This is the tricky thing about being intrigued by Jesus, being challenged by Jesus, drawing near to Jesus, uh, being uh, a bit wooed and moved by Jesus in many areas of our lives. And all that can happen without me ever leaving the kingdom in this world to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's a challenge. Now, this, these men, uh, they were willing to go so far. Maybe they wanted to know just the rules. Many people are like that. Just give me the new set of rules. Give me the new morality. But it's so much bigger than that, isn't it? It's about embracing fully a person, who he is, and what he came to do. When we are baptized into Christ, we are saying, I am done living under my own reign. I am done being my own king, my own savior, my own Lord. I am ready to come into a new realm. And we emerge out of that baptistry, brand new people, citizens of the kingdom of God. What a great transition it is. And transformation begins as well. Leaving be we're leaving behind a kingdom. It also means that we're leaving behind a comfortable life. Now, this first man in uh, Jesus uh, encounters uh, doesn't quite understand discomfort. I don't think Jesus is saying that we should seek discomfort or difficulties in life. Certainly we all know that they come without being sought. But when we come into the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying that we ought to expect discomfort. We, we need to expect a sacrificial life. This particular man seems a bit impulsive. Maybe he's an idealist. Maybe he loves the idea of something new, something enticing, something he's not heard before. The kingdom of God always collides with the kingdom of man, with the world system. And many things we are after do not come. Because by nature, what we want is health, we want wealth, we want experiences, we want, we want life and all uh, and everything that we can experience to be good and positive. And yet, that's not what Jesus promises. 
He doesn't promise popularity. He doesn't promise acceptance. He doesn't promise wealth because the kingdom of God doesn't consist of such things. I remember the last time I was in Ghana, here is Richard and Tim, our our mission partners, you know, church there. Some of you have been there. And it's this, you know, block brick building. And it exists in the shadow of a huge church building that preaches a health and wealth gospel. And, and we talked together, and he, he, he told me how discouraged he gets because he works and works and works to, to preach the gospel. But that's the church that keeps growing. And I had to keep encouraging him that, you know, what he is doing is preaching the gospel. He is preaching the, the truth of the gospel. God, God doesn't promise us these things. And it's interesting that the health wealth gospel still attracts so many people because that's, that's our flesh. That's what we want. Maybe for this man, the adventure of following Jesus was more wonderful sounding than Jesus himself. You know, some people like the experience of the journey more than the, really the person of Jesus. He wanted to be something, something big, something grand, a, a place where there's going to be, uh, be a great king and a great ruler. You know, it's, it, no wonder people wanted Jesus to be king, right? That's what they tried to do after he fed 5,000 people. You know, what a great king you would be feeding us. No more food problems. And what we've seen of you, no more health problems. But that's not what the kingdom is about, is it? Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Our world is obsessed with stuff, isn't it? You know, when Queen Elizabeth II came to the U.S., uh, she brought 4,000 pounds of luggage. Two outfits for every event, even a mourning outfit, just in case somebody died on the trip. Two valets, her, her own hairdresser, uh, a white kid leather glove toilet seat covers, uh, lots of attendants, you know, a 40 pints of plasma. They say a, a foreign trip of Queen Elizabeth II's may cost up to $20 million. Now you contrast that with the king of kings who left everything. He came here, was born in the lowliest of ways among animals. He left, he left the glory and the riches of being with his father. He grew up as a carpenter's son in basically a poverty level. He never had a wife and kids He never owned a house. He never had a savings plan. He just came in obedience to his father. He doesn't promise the things that we think bring life, that real life is. Jesus said real life is to know him and to know his father in heaven. But he does promise us the things that matter most, like peace and love and, and a, a, a joy that cannot be snuffed out, taken away. He promises a life of character, a life of wholeness, a life of depth and of meaning, a life of substance 
a life that has worth and inestimable value. His kingdom strangely advances through self-denial. That is the most difficult thing for us to grasp, isn't it? That in somehow giving myself up, that's where I get life. No wonder his message isn't all that popular in our world today. Just like it wasn't popular in his world. Because it, it seems like such a paradox. How you give up and then gain. Because in giving up, we become more and more like our Father in heaven who gave up his very best that we might live. Following Jesus is, is not for those wanting to be great heroes. It's not about eating and drinking, Paul writes, but it's about righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit, the things that last. Jesus is a terrible campaigner for the kingdom, isn't he? You know, when you campaign, you, you campaign on promises, you, you campaign like Abraham Lincoln promised that he would not undo slavery. FDR promised to balance the budget. Johnson promised not to send troops to Vietnam. Bush promised not to raise taxes. Clinton promised. Obama promised. Trump promised. Their message always is, follow me and I will give you a better life. Now, Jesus' campaign says the same thing. But, but it's not following so that we get the things that matter to this world. We, we follow him because of the things that matter most. You want your life to count for something? Then we have to continue giving up and surrendering so that we may gain what is best. It's not a comfortable life necessarily, yet we've made it that. Again, in verses 22 to 24 in that chapter, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. We've got to leave it behind a comfortable life. Be willing to do that. Is your lifestyle markedly different because you follow Jesus? Also, we have to leave behind a misplaced allegiance. The second and the third guys sound pretty similar. First guy says, look, I need to go, go bury my dad. And Jesus has always gotten bad press over his answer. You know, uh, no time for that. Let the dead bury the dead. Uh, Jesus, we know, is not such an insensitive guy, right? In fact, he, he is a terribly sensitive leader. We've seen that through and through by his encounters with people. Perhaps what Jesus knows is what we don't see written in words here a little bit. This, this man might know dad's not going to like him following Jesus. That he might be offended by his following Jesus. Or by this new allegiance he, he's, he's, uh, he's forming with this Jesus of Nazareth. The third guy says about the same thing. I will follow, but not yet. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand the urgency of the gospel. You don't understand how significant this is. And, and Jesus, 
Jesus is saying, you, you can't say, I'll follow if, or I'll follow when. I'll follow when I get certain things. And, and we, we who have walked with people, some of you have walked with friends uh, toward Christ, they've said those kinds of things. I first have to, I first have to clean my life up. I have to get past this stage in my life or season. Then I'll focus on my, the spiritual part of who I am. You know, we're, really, we're going to have this baby in a couple of months. And, you know, as soon as we get past that, then we're going to work on our spiritual lives. Or the kid is a toddler right now, and he's really a mess taking anywhere. But as soon as these couple years get by, then, you know, we're going to start really getting, getting our act together and getting a life group and getting church and that sort of thing. You know, I'm just getting ready to retire. We're going to go on a big trip. And then when I get back, you know, we're going to get serious about it. There's always something Something that, 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 that has to be taken care of. And, and it's so obvious in families because we live in an age when family is everything to so many people. It's everything is about family. And certainly God has put us in families. He wants us to cherish our families, take care of our families. But even our families cannot take priority over following Jesus. Am I right? That's Jesus' words. He said, unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, even your own life, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you have to love me more than your very family. And no matter how much you love your spouse today or your child or your grandchild, whoever it is, you must love Jesus Christ more. Now, this teaching, friends, is not for the super Christian. It's not for the terribly elite Christian because there's no such thing. If we want Jesus Christ, we follow him as Lord of life. When St. Augustine, St. Augustine lived in the 4th to 5th century, and he was in a, an affair with a woman, but he had heard about Ambrose of Milan, a great communicator, a little bit older than himself, and so uh, he wanted to hear him preach, and St. Augustine went to hear, before, this before he was a Christian, of course, went to hear Ambrose preach. And he, he said in his prayer, oh, Lord, make me good, but not yet. You ever had that kind of prayer or thought tucked away? Lord, I, I want to be who you want me to be, but not yet. I've got some things I want to do first or experience first, some things to take care of. There are millions of people who have lived that prayer. I want to follow you, Jesus, but not that far. And so career comes into play. I've got this career, Lord. I mean, I've, it's demanding. There are some things I have to turn uh, a blind eye to because I know they're not right, but I have to have this job. I have to support my family. God, I, I want to follow you, but I know this relationship doesn't honor you, but I, re I really love her. I love him. And so we're going to continue living this way, and sometime we'll, we'll get things right with you. For these men, these two men, I think family was everything. There were men who left, left everything they had, and they followed Jesus. They didn't know exactly what they were getting into, did they? And that's why this text is important for us even today, because when we first said yes to Jesus, did we know everything we would be called to do and ways we'd be called to obey? No. These 12 men who followed Jesus didn't either. They began their journey, and as they got more deeply ingrained in the call of Jesus, they learned to sacrifice more and more as the vision of Jesus became theirs as well. And so no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus and following him, there is more yet 
to experience in him and deeper ways to show that we are all in completely following him. Because we're always called to more sacrifice, right? We just are, always. Now, tradition, for instance, tells us that Matthew was killed in Ethiopia with the sword. That Mark was dragged by horses in Egypt until he died. That Luke was hanged in Greece. That James, the brother of Jesus, was thrown off the temple and beheaded. That Philip was crucified. That Thomas was speared to death on the southern shores of India. That Jude was shot with arrows. That Andrew was beaten and crucified. And he preached from the cross until his last breath. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. John died in exile. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to, be, to die in the same way as his Lord. Did they understand all that when they said, we'll follow you? No. But as their hearts expanded, as their faith deepened, as their human spirits connected with the Spirit of God, God kept calling them on further, and they continued to move where he called them. And that's why even though the grand majority of us in here today are Christ's followers, Christ is still calling us deeper still to take steps of faith and to honor him in ways we've never honored him before. To be a follower also means leaving behind a divided heart. I get so distracted. I forgot my fidget spinner. I had a fidget spinner in my pocket this morning. Anybody got a fidget, anybody got a fidget spinner? Oh, I'm the only one in the whole room that's got one. Yeah. I've got four. You got one, Walt. You would. You would. You're that type, aren't you? Have you seen a fidget spinner? You know, you hold them, they spin them. Uh, I, I, I left it in my office. You know, I, I'll sit there and I'll spin it sometimes. The, the, the experts say that uh, they help you focus. I find I get distracted. <laughs> the, the, the people who, get, who, get, who have a hard time, uh, sometimes special needs children, they use these fidget spinners to help them focus. Well, not me. I start timing the fidget spinner. You know, I start seeing how long it'll spin. And so I, thought, I have to wake myself. Oh, stop this, Steve. Get back to doing what you're supposed to do. You know, we so easily, I so easily get distracted. I can have my day planned out. I can have my week planned out. And I get on sidetracks. I get on, on things that are lesser things because maybe the things I more like to do than what I want to do or need to do. And I think most of us would confess that we have that same problem we're designed, we are designed to do one thing, and that is to honor Jesus Christ with our lives. And the best way we do that is we invest it in kingdom purposes. That's what we do. And we get distracted. And we're not distracted necessarily by bad things. It's not that we're distracted by evil things. We're, we're distracted by good things that feel right, but they're really not contributing to the kingdom of God. What is it in your life right now that's distracting you from doing all you can do and being all you can be as God's servant devoted to his purpose in the world? See, we have crossed over the border. 
If you have been baptized into Christ, you have said, no longer my kingdom, I'm in a new realm now. I have a new king. And so anyone, he says, puts their hand to the plow, can't look back. You can't look back. Remember the story of Lot's wife. She looked back a bit longingly, evidently, to her hometown as it, as it uh, went up in flames because of God's destruction. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Diane and I have been to the Dead Sea, as some of you have been. There's a pillar of salt there we saw. There are a lot of these pillars. I remember being there and thinking, which one's Lot's wife? <laughs> I went and poked a few. Uh, you, you know, uh, looking back, you're not going to become a pillar of salt like Lot's wife. But there is a kind of spiritual hardening of the arteries that takes place. When looking back is about still holding on to the things of the old kingdom realm. It's about having the best of that kingdom woven into this new kingdom. And friends, that can't happen. We have to continue to investigate deeply within us and keep asking, what am I still gripping? What am I still holding on to that's keeping me from being all in with Jesus Christ? Somebody is called current believers Frankenstein believers where they come to Christ and they just attach these new parts and then hit them with a jolt and they start moving erratically. Well, something has happened to us more than just getting a jolt and old parts and new parts being put together. You know, we have become new creatures in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God has been given to us a gift to empower us to holy living for Jesus Christ. When we're all in, that's what God's looking to do. Are you all in? When I look at our congregation, I see people that I really think have demonstrated being all in. You know, uh, Ali Dunn is in Cambodia today. She visited there when she was one of our students at the pier and she was moved by the needs of the poor and the outcasts so she's teaching English to uh, students so that missionaries can do their their work better there I appreciate what she's doing Amy Hedges in our church comes at the 930 service and she is committed during the week to teaching preschoolers with special needs. Then she comes here on Sunday and oversees our special needs ministry called Perfect Fit, making sure that 30-some kids have a buddy to be with while they're here. Marlene Walters and Dave McCowan and Kenny Richardson give hours and hours and hours every week toward our finance ministry in record-keeping or in paying bills that, we'll be, that we will be uh, people of integrity in the way we deal with our finances. Lorda Densler has uh, is is been in this service, and Kevin and Janet Bork go to the Fellowship Center service. Now, Kevin and Janet are in their 50s. I won't say how old Laura is. I don't know, and I'm not going to dare take a stab at that. But, you know, they've each adopted four children they were called to adopt four children to give kids hope in this world by godly influence. Carol Fields is back there. Carol blesses me so much 
She doesn't teach one hour of kids after this worship service. She teaches two hours of kids. It's stellar in what she does. In addition, she's in her 70s, and she works full-time with one of our mission partners, TCM. We have Dan and Diana Smith are here nearly every day of the week, volunteering their time tirelessly. Paul Myers is here at 4 a.m. every Friday morning, cooking breakfast for 60 men who come at 6 o'clock. He's done it for 26 years. Sarah and Ryan Hardy, we support. They have one little boy. Sarah's expecting her second child. They are our mission partners. They're preparing to go to Papua New Guinea to translate the Bible to an unreached people group that they may know the gospel. And I couldn't name more of you. Forgive me for those of you I didn't name today. But how about the rest of us? Where is he calling us to areas of risk and sacrifice, of further devotion, scary things, things that ways we would never thought we would be called by God to follow him more deeply, to do things that call for sacrifice, a change in lifestyle, a change of location, doing something with our lives that we would dare to do simply because Jesus has put the burden on our hearts. That's what it means to follow. You know, two centuries ago, A.W. Milne was called to the islands of New Hebrides to reach headhunters. Missionaries had gone before. He knew that, and they were killed. But A.W. Milne went anyway, and he went without looking back. And you know how he packed? He didn't pack his belongings in suitcases. He bought a coffin and packed his goods in there because he planned to die there. And when he died, it was there that he died. And after 35 years, he was buried in the village he led to Christ. And on his tombstone, they put the words, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. What a way to live and die. Why would he do that? Why would anyone do that? Because verse 51 that I didn't read in chapter 9 of Luke says that Jesus resolutely set off for Jerusalem. In other words, he set his face toward the cross. Why? When he did that, he was setting his face resolutely toward you and me. You were his vision. I was his vision. So for the joy set before him, Hebrews says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. There are only two options. Obey Jesus and follow Jesus with all you have. And, you know, it's very hard. But choose not to, and it is harder still. Choose today who you will serve. Our Father in heaven, we, we so confess readily our slowness to respond to your call. Some have difficulty initially coming to you, Father. Most of us have difficulty going further with you. 
And I pray, Father, we will not be satisfied with having one foot inside the kingdom of God, but we'll want to go deeper still. Whatever that looks like, whatever you call us to, whatever sacrifice is demanded from us, I pray that we will be prepared, whether it is a daily sacrifice, like even today we're called to do something or be with someone or walk with someone, or whether it's a whole life change, whatever it is, Father, I pray that you will find us ready to listen to your leadership and do what you call us to do. Together, as we do that, Father, we will be a church truly for the glory of God. We thank you in Jesus. Amen.